Welcome to Navigating Change, everybody. My name is Pete Wright, and I'm joined once again by Howard Teibel. Howard, how are you? Good. How are you, Pete? Doing very well. Very well. Uh, we have another, uh, I think, another great issue to, to talk about. And it's one that, you know, when you brought it up to me just a few minutes ago before we started recording, I thought, gosh, that's why, why haven't we talked about that before? Well, mostly it's because the show is still pretty brand new. <laughs> uh, so once I got through that little leap of logic, uh, I, I, here's here's the issue: the new leader in town. You are a, a new uh, manager, a new team uh, team leader, and you're brought in uh, to make some sort of a change to a team that is, I'm presuming, not functioning correctly or not functioning uh, most effectively and efficiently. How do you go about creating an environment where you can have impact when you're new to a team? Uh, fighting the issues that come up uh, in in uh, in the face of of uh, in the face of new new politics and new blood. Well, okay. So how I start here is that after you decide for yourself that you're not going to run for the hills, you <laughs> give up that and you decide, all right, I'm going to stay and stick this one out. Okay. Uh, step one. Step one. Don't don't cave to your own fear and insecurity. That's right. All right. That's right. Now step two is really about understanding what you're walking into here. And I think there's there's three kinds of uh, challenges people face when they inherit uh, teams, whether we're talking about a president inheriting a senior team or the senior team in, inheriting their managers or the managers in, inheriting their staff, is that when you first come in there, one of the presumptions is, is that you're going to come in there and move things in a direction. It's not going to be status quo. Often if there's a change in leadership, it's because something is not being addressed. So you come in there and what you often hit initially is a reaction that is, this is how we've always done that. Uh, when you begin to ask about the work being done and inheriting that collective point of view that you know, we can't change, that you know, this is working for us and this is how we do it. So that's the first thing I think new leaders inherit. The second one is when you begin to explore what that is, people often come back with, that won't work here. We, we tried that. Or in this industry, we don't talk that way. I mean, there's certain language people can't use. But So there's all this putting up of resistance uh, because people are nervous about the change. And the, and the third one that I think uh, new leaders walk into is underestimating that the people who are still there that worked for the prior person are very likely operating out of some old behavior. So if the old leader was a bully, uh, then people learned to not speak up. They learn not to share uh, good ideas. You know, conversely, if you had a leader where all ideas were good, and you know, you might have this point of view that everything you have to say is going to be welcomed, and you're dealing with people where it's almost like there's no organization because everybody thinks that they have influence. So that's the environment I think that people walking into a new role inherit when they uh, when they step into a uh, a new leadership role uh, you know I really like how you summarize that because it 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 
it really wraps up a feeling that I have in my head and more in my gut when you talk about this as somebody who has both been, uh, dare I say, inflicted with a new uh, you know, team leader and one who has come in as a new team leader. I, I feel like I can say this, which is all of these deal with this response from the team. You don't know enough about us yet to make any change. We aren't going to trust you. And until we feel like you have really done the work. And, you know, that, that's a great point, Pete, because uh, I think that dynamic is there. And I think, unfortunately, what I see is people stepping into roles end up taking sort of a black or white approach. They either disregard that and they go full-blown steam into their agenda, or they go the exact opposite where they come off as so inclusive that really it there is no leadership. So there's an alternative way of dealing with this that's not black or white. So so uh, let's let's dive right into that. How do you go through, uh, you know, and and make some corrective action and deal with these, you know, each of these three issues? The this is how we've done it team. The that won't work here team. And the I have old habits. I don't know how to relate to you, team. Right, right. So for the first one, this is how we've always done it. Uh, What I've observed that works, and I've even tried in my own situation, is to ask sort of a deeper question uh, that people often don't ask because they're so attached to this is how we've always done it, is should we be doing it this way? You know, force people to think about it from the point of view of, not from the point of view of what we're familiar with doing, but given what we're trying to accomplish here, should we be doing that? Now, what you will face in that, and you just have to be prepared for this, is that what will be going on for people privately is because you're asking them to get outside their comfort zone, is they will have some private fears about that. It could be, you know, if you found out that this is not a critical piece of work, I might not have a job. Worse, and, and it's really not worse, but sometimes people point to this almost as big a deal as losing their jobs is you might give me more work. So if we discover a new way of doing it, then I might actually have to inherit more work. So there's a there's a dance here, which is really about exploring and asking these tough questions, but also allowing people to go through it uh, and just know they're going to go through it, and, there, and there's nothing you you can do about that. You have to let your people go through those private fears. You don't have to avoid it. Still ask the tough questions. Well, I imagine it can be really illuminating uh, when you actually ask that question. Uh, you know, I wonder how many, uh, you know, how many teams feel like they've really been asked that question over the years. Well, yeah, it, it, I think many are not asked because it is, uh, you know, it is like the elephant in the room. You know, people get. <laughs> When you ask that question, what you're doing is you're lifting up the covers and you're you're asking people to explore what we're now doing in automatic pilot. Uh, is that what we should be doing? And very quickly, you will be dis- you will discover that people actually do have great ideas about what they should be doing more of and what they should be doing less of. The second thing, when people say that won't work here, we right. tried that. The the thing to come back with in this case is to not say not to try to convince them otherwise because you did it someplace else and it worked great or to say okay just throw your hands up it won't work here to then 
dive right into that. Great. So what happened? Find out when people say that won't work here. We tried that. Find out how it played out because first of all, that will throw people that you're actually showing interest about why something is not possible, why you can't do it here. And you might discover one of two things. You're going to discover either that there's a very good reason why um, it won't work here, or you might discover that they really didn't explore that sufficiently, and you can help them understand maybe another way of approaching it where they go, okay, actually, that's a good way of doing it, and then you can make inroads that way. So that's 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 how to deal with that That won't work here. We tried that. Okay. Now, I feel like we're as, as we go through each of these, we're getting through to sort of increasing levels of potential stubbornness. In the response, and and this third one is really the one that I think is is potentially running into the the most hard headed uh, types of responses. Well, you know, it's interesting about the third one is that this third one about people having certain behaviors that they have uh, sort of grown into based on how they were managed in the past is this is more unconscious than it is conscious. You know, if you have uh, a boss that was has been with you for years, and they really were—I uh, I don't mean tough, because I've—I I know some really good bosses who are tough because they ask good questions. That's different from being a bully. Uh, that's different from intimidating. Uh, and then in those situations, people don't speak up. So then you come in there, and you find that no one's offering up anything. Well. One of the ways to do this, to, to actually begin to break down those walls, is to be transparent about your style of management. And more explicitly, share with them that this is how you'd like to work together. You know, I, I think, I can't tell you the number of times I've seen uh, senior leaders make assumptions about what they think people should get about them. So because you offer this great smile and you've got great teeth and you, you know, you come to work and you seem to be enthusiastic, somehow people are just going to rally behind you. Sometimes it takes literally saying, uh, it is okay to give me bad news. Hmm. And matter of fact, not only do I want you to give me bad news, I expect that we, we are going to not punish bad news. As a matter of fact, that's how we're going to get through this. Now, that might, you know, it's like, sounds good. How you really get there is you're going to have a team of people. And let's say of 10 people that work for you, maybe two of them are going to be sitting there and they're going to say, you know what, I have been waiting for this because I want to be able to communicate the bad news. And some will be more forthright about this. So then what will happen is you'll get a subset of people who will rally behind you and actually give you what you're asking for. And then depending on how you respond to that, will also then give others permission to say it's safe. So much of this is about people feeling safe. And the way you can encourage people to feel safe is that let's say that somebody worked with you and they gave you some bad news and it, it really caused you to look in there and change deadlines. You sit with the whole team and you say something like, I want to publicly thank Sally for letting us know X, Y, and Z. We missed this deadline. And because of that, uh, we're going to lose this. But you know what? We're in a better position now because we know what we're dealing with. And although we're over budget, we're in a better position now because of what Sally did. When you do this, if you're willing to do this, that will let others know 
that it's safe to do it. Now, what's interesting is, as I say this out loud, I know why senior leaders don't do this, because they think if they give permission for people to not get things done, they think that's going to encourage lack of productivity. Uh, it's it's not something that you can just sort of say, it's you know, you might get some people as a result of offering up uh, that it's okay to give bad news, that maybe their performance will slack. But then again, as your le- as the leader or manager, your job is to then put that correction in. You know, there's a great quote, and I think this uh, this is a perfect time to uh, to bring it up. It's this idea between problems and dilemmas, and the the the, com- the, the quote is: uh, problems can be solved, while dilemmas need to be managed. And it is the dilemma to keep a team focused and transparent and willing to tell the truth. And you are not going to solve it by making one proclamation and that people are going to line up. You have to pay attention throughout the whole uh, time as they're getting adjusted to your new behavior. Oh, that's so good. And I don't want to, I really don't want to let that go. It's this idea that you're solving the right problem. Uh, or, or you know, to use your your uh, you know your language, that you're addressing the right dilemma. Uh, so many times you have, I, I think there's this culture of measurement in management, and unless you can put a checkbox on it, you know, and that, that's what we expect that when we look at somebody's behavior, we can manage with a checkbox on a review, and that is just not the case in reality. That's right. I totally agree with that. So, uh, so just as we wrap up here, tell me a little bit about what, uh, you know, in light of all of these issues, what does a, a high-performing team uh, really look like in practice? Brother, the, you know, th- this is almost a topic for its own podcast. Uh, but when I think about it from the point of view of observing a high-performing team, there is a willingness to... <laughs> But the thing that I see a lot more of that where where teams break down, a willingness to allow ambiguity to be part of the process. That you know, communi- everyone knows communication is important. Everyone knows that uh, you know giving good presentations are important. Uh, transparency, all that stuff is true. I, I think that the biggest challenge for teams is you know recognizing that the process is never going to be perfect. And the sooner you cut your uh, colleagues and, you know, people that are part of your project team some slack for not getting things right and actually coming from the point of view that everybody really is doing their best uh, to get through this. And some people have constraints that you're probably not even aware of. Uh, the more people are able to work together. And and this gets to that underlying question of trust, which takes time. I mean, that's the other piece of it that I think is tough is that senior leaders have an expectation about this stuff happening overnight. And it not only does it take uh, being a role model on their part to exemplify the behavior you're looking for, but they also have to give people time to adjust to it uh, and not expect overnight everything is going to change. But, you know, work still needs to get going. So, you know, that's what comes to mind for me. Uh, ambiguity is, I think, becoming even more prevalent. Uncertainty. How are we going to get through it? Timelines. It's just, it's almost out of control. Uh, but you can get there. It, it's just a matter of being willing to allow the ambiguity to be present. Well, once you give yourself permission to allow that ambiguity, aren't you really setting free sort of a, 
a culture of allowing yourself to be even more creative in how you figure out solutions to complex problems? Absolutely. That's absolutely. This is a, another great conversation. And you're right. It probably is a, a great topic for a whole nother show. And, and uh, we should do that. Let's add that to the list of things to think about later. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Howard. Uh, this has been a you're great welcome. conversation. It's and, always great talking to you. And until next time, on behalf of Howard Teibel, my name is Pete Wright. Thanks for listening to Navigating Change. Thank you.